Welcome everyone to another week, to another program of Let's Grow Together with your host Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. I'd like to thank everyone and each of you that have called in for your questions and comments. It's greatly appreciated and enjoy it. And of course, you can text in. We'd like to remind everyone that you can watch us live on jrootradio.com, on the Lakewood Scoop, and on yeshivaworld.com. You can ask your questions several ways. We, of course, we always take by phone first. So for your question to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. Or you can text your question to 347-927-8398. That's 347-927-8398. You're able to do that. There's also a product going out there, and that's about selling at weddings or giving out at weddings magnets, where pictures at the wedding or at your simcha, where you're able to get magnets for the refrigerator, for your stuff, and they'll be coming soon, Eretz Hashem, to simchas. I also had the honor of meeting a couple of minutes ago Rabbi Yisrael Lichtenstein, someone that is putting a major emphasis and heart to go help the Shidduch crisis that's happening in the Litvisha world. He has some very interesting ideas, and he's been on the JRIT radio this past week on Monday, yesterday. So it was great meeting you, and with Siata Deshmai, you should be able to help Klal Yisrael and make a lot of Shidduchim happen. We're going to start with a question or two that we've got from the Lakewood School, from some texts that we have. And we're going to take the question. So we'll start with, you know, let's go to a caller. We're going to go to Mayor on line one. We're going to be taking Mayor's call. So again, the number to call in for your question or comment is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Mayor, you're on the air with Mordechai. How are you doing, Mordechai? Yes, how are you doing? Good. I had an interesting question. Um, I wonder if you ever heard of this. Um, someone that I'm close with has like a thing like, you know, the person that you could always count on, like to bring up the tragic news, like we're having a good conversation. And I always come up with like, oh, did you hear who died? You know, did you hear about this car accident, that accident? It's like a weird thing. And like, I always see like, whenever they go on like on the computer, they always go to like nisaskin.com um, yes. to see who died. Yes. So I feel like it's like a gross fascination for things. I wonder if you ever heard of that. Well, let's first put it this way. Let's take a step further. What is your question about it? I want to know if you ever heard of this problem. I'm like, what is it? What's up with it? It bothers me very much. It's a family member. Oh, so the issue is you have a family member that always talks up negative and death? Yeah. All right. So the first of all, let's, let's, you sound like a pretty smart guy to me. Take, make an assumption. Why do you assume this person is doing that? Why do I assume? Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm a little... Maybe right. I, I don't know. Yeah, take a guess. I feel like it's like a, it's like a, I don't know, like it's a addiction. I don't know. All right, we can come it's up weird. with a number. One of the things as a therapist, one of the main points that we need to realize is that even when something is so clear, we don't make any assumptions. So when people ask me questions, they're really assumptions that I do, but in real therapy, we don't do that. Like we really ask. So just to give you an example, I'll shoot three different ideas that I can assume why it's happening. Number one, people get attention when they talk about negative stuff. So it's kids that want to get attention and they're behaving, no one looks at them, they make trouble, all of a sudden they're getting attention. Now as surprising as it sounds, or as twisted as it sounds to get attention for negativity, it works and people look at you. That's one thing. 
Another point is people discuss issues that they're afraid of. Which means, if let's assume this person is afraid of death, afraid of dying, wherever they go, that's what they see. So when there are people that I know that are afraid of competition, all they're doing is they're competitive with everyone else. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. If you're afraid of dying, so wouldn't you want to, like, try to not encounter it and not look at it? Exactly. That's the beauty of the subconscious. That's the beauty of the brain. Our biggest fear, something that's not dealt with, is going to come back more and more. So let me give you an example. Let's assume someone wants to be organized. And they want to be so organized that everything is going to have a place. And they don't even want to have one or two little points or little pieces of paper not, not put away. Since they need to have everything so perfectly put away, do you know what usually happens? These people don't put anything away. What happens is a perfectionist that's trying to say, all I want to have is a little peace and quiet. I want to have a little bit of organization. They're the ones that have the least organizations. So the way the brain works is many times it works on exactly the opposite. And the opposite means that when we want something, or what our biggest fear is actually what we do all day. Someone wants that kid should listen to them. Instead of being nice, instead of taking a course or two, or just being aware, or, or balancing, connecting with their children or not, and they become too tough or too strict, isn't it interesting that usually these are the parents that the kids are not listening to at all? So... First, that's an interesting concept that people don't realize in psychology, but when people come in with a problem, the first point is that we also try to identify when did that come from, when did it start, for exactly that reason. The subconscious will try to clear out the issue, and therefore it brings it up over and over and over. Right. I mean, that would make sense, because it's also the type of person that, like, every day comes up with a different diagnosis for himself. You know, he has a headache, or I have, like, you know, disease, this and that, cancer, you know? Here comes one other point. These people that are afraid of all these things, and many times it's security. They're subconscious. They don't feel safe. They don't feel confident within themselves. And therefore, that's a third reason why they discuss death all day or fears or negativities. I'm not saying. What does it have to do with also a parent dying, like young? Okay, let's, let's take that exactly that. There is, it could either be that second point, which means in their mind they still haven't been able to process that. So they're seeing wherever they go, Nebuch people could be dying. Yeah. There's a second po- this now the third point that we're mentioning as well is that whatever is going on with in yourself, let's say that yeah, you're right on the ball, my friend. You gotta clear. You gotta clear. All I know is that when people have certain issues, we need to have them be aware that there are issues that are going on by them. Yeah. And once they're aware of it, then you could change it. Awareness is the first step to change subconscious programs. But if we're not aware that we're doing it, if we're not aware that we're afraid of that, then that's the issue. Then that's the difficulty. Right. The problem is it happens to be a parent. So, like, I just want to help that. You know, I want to, in a respectable way, you know, approach the parent and then, like, maybe offer, you know, maybe to, you know, to get help. All right. So Obviously. here we get now a lot more trickier. The closer yeah. it is to you and the longer they have the issue, the more in denial or the more stuck they are in the program. Which means the closer the family member that tells them something, the more threatened they'll probably feel, especially when it's children, they feel, you're alive 30-something years, but I'm alive already 60 years or 50 years. Like, what do you know? Many times I have teenagers, 15-year-olds that tell me, I'm trying to explain to my parents, stop fighting about this topic over and over, and they just don't listen to me, and it's just the way the brain is. Someone that has raised you from day one, that has changed your diapers, just has a difficult time 
accepting it from you. And that's also why, especially in psychology, they really make the recommendation of no friends and family plan. Don't work on your friends. Don't work on your family. You can be great to everyone else, but to them, it'll be hard for them to accept your advice. Do you think it's the lowest cost? I don't think it's a lost cause at all. Absolutely not. I believe the first step is for you guys to stop bringing it up, but in a gentle way. Not like, ma, don't you realize you're bringing up death? There you go again. Death. Ah, dying. Dying. Masaskin. Try not to look. You got OCD. You're stuck on that Masaskin website. No, that doesn't go. But if you can have a conversation with your mother and father, say, okay, you know, I'm coming over, I want to discuss it when it's a quiet moment or sometime, you know when there are those quiet moments, like, I just discuss a question with you, I'm carrying this in my mind a while, you know, you're bringing it up, I don't know if you're aware of it, but it just happens, Not it starts schlepping me down. When you focus on you, it changes it. Mm -hmm. right. So, again, understand one other thing, another secret for you to realize which I've noticed sometimes when it's harder, when it's family members, there is a principle in psychology called that things are, let's say, six hands away. It's uh, different places you see it, but like in order, the whole world, the concept is sort of like the whole world is six handshakes away. If you want to reach anyone, you can reach anyone in six terms. Was, I don't remember now the name, but I'm sure we can find I've it. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Yeah, it's about the 1960s. Well, when I've read that concept, I like the idea a little bit different, which is we need to hear things six times for it to penetrate. So if yeah. you can say it calmly about six Hazar different Hazara, but if you could do it like six different times to the parent or have maybe another sibling just mention it, but let right. go. When they start feeling threatened or attacked, it won't get in there. Right, 100%. If, and let me ask you a quick question. So let, in a, like in a nutshell, let's pretend it was me. How would I deal with it in a nutshell? I'm not sure what the question is. Give me more words to that question. Like how would I deal with this subconscious? You know, whatever, it's a fear of death, so how do you deal with that? If it's your issue is one thing, if it's a parent, it's very different. No, because let's say, let's say it would work after the sixth time, you know, of telling. So like, They're willing to ask, talk. Okay, now so you need you... someone that deals, now you need a therapist. If they have an issue for about 30 years, yeah. we try to get someone or just someone to speak to them or, or just start bringing it up. You can get a book on loss, on death. Art Scroll, they have some books, you know, for, for people that have lost parents. Starting to grieve through it. It's interesting, in the Chesidish world, they have now an organization in Williamsburg that opened up that helps deal with for Yosemim and for, right. you know, for Yosem's, for the boys. Right. I mean, this is years ago. This is like I know, that, but the point is there are organizations and people can bereave. They, they're giving acknowledgement. There might be a lot of emotions that were years ago that were never acknowledged. Right. Just recognizing, oh, that's me. Yeah, I went through that. I still think about that. And they realize they're not normal. It just gets them all weird. I'm sorry, not that they're not normal. They realize that they are normal. And this is feelings. Oh, and that's why I think about this all the time. Right. Thank you, Mayor, right. Thank for you so much. that question. My pleasure. We're going to go to Yehuda. Yehuda on line three. You're on the air with Mordechai. The number to call in with your question or comment anywhere along the psychological mental health field. The number is 718-683-5858. Yes. Yehuda? All right, I think we're going to just lower it and we'll get to Yehuda at another time. I'd like to read... Um, one or two questions that we've gotten also from the Lakewood Scoop. So let's take one from the Lakewood Scoop, which is a little bit, well, this looks like, let's try to zoom in. Looks like a whole drush over here. I was listening to one of your programs from a few months ago when you heard Dr. When you had Dr. Twersky. He mentioned a few times that there are different types of depressions. One type is a chemical imbalance that no, that no 
known cause that and that needs meds. Another type is someone's depressed for a specific reason, example grief, and that they need coping skills. I'm suffering from depression that was clearly from a result of certain circumstances. I went to therapy, but for a long time I hesitated to go on meds because I knew the logic cause of the depression. I finally went on meds when I was desperate and had a hard time functioning. Even though the situation has not changed, the issue is not taking over my life like it used to, and I'm able to function and enjoy life. So I was wondering, what are your thoughts were on this? Is there really no overlap between chemical imbalance and depression from a known cause? Based on my experience, I would say there is. The psychiatrist that prescribed my meds said that obviously meds can't solve dif different life problems, but it can help with coping skills. Um, since I was actually the host of that program, Dr. Tversky definitely said that they overlap and that they definitely work out together. What he was explaining is that there are certain depressions that therapy cannot help and it can be for chemical reasons. He was also saying that many times people just jump to medication and they aren't dealing or getting the coping skills to deal with grief or to deal with certain depressive situations. Now, of course they overlap, and it evil, I can even explain to you and clarify that. If someone's depressed for about 5, 10 years, or even less than that, but for a long time, and then you start going for therapy, many times the brain, I call it like it's rusty, just can't get out of the rust, and you need like a WD-40, and that's what I consider medication. Just something to get the mind going, to be able to get it focused. So definitely medication is something that helps a lot, Definitely therapy is something that helps a lot. Definitely many times you need both of them. But what you need the therapist and the psychiatrist to evaluate is, is it something that we should first deal with therapy? Is it something that we first need to deal with medication? And that's where both a therapist is able to recognize what's needed. And it's most importantly a doctor that will make that final diagnosis. So that is my thoughts about that matter. Second question of the Lakewood Scoop. What is a good cause for a mother to hit a child? Example, chutzpah lying. Also, if a child refuses to eat supper, should I force feed? All I will say about this is take a parenting course and quick. Parenting course and quick or get someone to guide you one-on-one. -on -one. These questions, each of them individually might sound innocent. Together, sounds like you need some basic skills. Not chasasham that you're not a good parent, just you need some basic skills. The number to call in with your question is 718-683-588-718-683-5858. And I appreciate those of you that are texting and all your questions, but of course we are going to be taking ahead of time those that call in because there's more of an interaction going on. Um, a third question, my son doesn't listen. What can I do that my son should help me out when, with the kids a few hours a day now that it's been Azmanim? Communication. Very simple. It's amazing how simple this tool works. What you got to do is sit down with your children and just discuss with them ahead of time. What are our goals? What are your goals? How much time do you want? What are you expecting? One can work out what the kids' expectations, and you're very clear what your expectations are. You want two hours of them doing whatever you want. You want them available evening time. You want them available morning time. Whatever it should be, discuss it. And if a kid says, I don't want to, to be able to have the power, the confidence, and the strength to say, well, this is what you got to do. This is your job. So it's non-negotiable. We can work out how. So the number to call in and ask your question is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Any question along the psychological mental health field that you have. And if it's a parenting question, parenting above the age of nine. Questions about children over the age of nine. 
We'll take one last question over here from the Lakewood Scoop, and that is, can you explain what pandas is? My son has it. Does he need therapy with it or not? I'm assuming he's probably meaning with medication or not. Um, let's explain what pandas is. Basically, what pandas is, is it's interesting that they've discovered that, unfortunately, many times children starting to develop tics, starting to develop issues where people think there's something wrong, that they need therapy. And somehow a doctor came up and said, you know something? Some kids had strep too many times and it, had, it has a physical, psychological effect. This person has done lots of different blood work and they discovered you can do a blood test and see if someone had strep too many times, it's a certain type of stress. I'm not exactly clear how it works, but stays in the blood in the system and it can, and it can cause and affect a lot of psychological issues. So when I see little children or when someone wants to ask me questions about children, about tics, the first question is, did this child have a lot of, str a lot of strep throats? And if yes, then you recommend first thing is you do the biological uh, blood test. If it comes out, pandas, you can take actually antibiotics for that. It's medically, it can help. Medication usually does help that, and you see wonderful results right away, and no therapy needed at all. Sometimes, if you don't catch it right away, or if it takes time, the person might have now developed a behavioral, um, a behavioral program where now they're stuck in the behavior, so the original cause isn't there, but now the behavior followed up, which means then you might need a therapist as well to look at it and how to deal with it. So let's just understand, pandas is something that you just take a blood test, you can, the doctors know about it, it's a common diagnosis, not common, but it's relatively new, but doctors, MDs know how to check for it, and they do the check. If it has it, try the medication. If it didn't work, usually doctors do another blood test to make sure it's out of the system. Sometimes it doesn't leave the system. If it's out of the system, if it's not out of the system, then go back to the doctor or he'll continue prescribing medication. If it's out of the system and the ticks are still there, then you start therapy. Then we want to see if there are other environmental or stress factors that are affecting your son or your daughter. So thank you for those questions. We're going to go to Miriam. And then we are going to take a couple of questions. We've even got some texts from out of area, from out of the country, in fact. We'll take some of those. Let's go ahead, Miriam. You're on the air with Mordechai. Thank you for taking my call. My have pleasure. Very, very... Hello? Yes. Do you hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so uh, my question to you is very relevant for this time of year. How do we stay in a sympathetic mood while cleaning our house? I understand it's a very, very stressful time of year. And obviously, we're not going to want to be doing this, but obviously, we have to be cleaning. Yes. I mean, not making ourselves sugar, but we have to clean fiantas. Yes. So how do we do this without making everybody sugar and staying, how would we say, on task and positive about it? Okay. Let's start with, let's start with some of the pointers that have to be pointed out. Are the expectations, or is this, is it, are you able to do it all? Which means if we have a strength to, let's say, walk a mile, and someone's asked me, so how do I stay calm when I got to walk two miles? Well, the answer is maybe you can't, which means maybe you need more help. Maybe we need to lower our expectations. Maybe you need the kids not being there for supper. Maybe you need kids helping out. Maybe you need your husband bringing in more money. Maybe there could be so many different issues. A hundred percent. But what happens, all of these above that you just mentioned, and you're doing all these implements, and you're still having difficult, and you're 
have hired help, and it's still difficult even so. Notice the word difficult. When I hear the word difficult, I don't know if difficult means anxious. I don't know if difficult means angry. I don't know if the difficult means overwhelmed. What does difficult overwhelmed, mean? Overwhelmed, frustrated, all of the above. So let's try this. What happens if we lower the expectation? Done that. Well... I mean, and I said if it's not ready for pesa, we'll take scotch tape and put it on... Excellent. The, let me, let's go into more details. So now let me ask you, what is your concern then? My what? concern is it's just like overwhelming. It's like define overwhelming. Over, let's clarify. Overwhelming means I've got six tasks to do. I only have time to do three. If all you need to do is three and you have time for three, or you only do two tasks out of and you have time for three, then it's not overwhelming. So what? Which part of lowering the expectation did you do, and which part analyze? Which part didn't you do? Okay, so the part that I have done is. I didn't dress myself out, and that's what I've been doing. Okay. Now, if you're overwhelmed, means there are some areas that you're still still having high expectations. So which areas, if you can take a moment, which areas are you still putting a higher expectation on yourself? I'm not really putting high expectations on myself. I'm not doing spring cleaning. I'm just doing Pesach cleaning. I'm not cleaning chandeliers. I'm not cleaning walls. Okay, I'm just well, notice, notice you tell me what you're not doing. But if you tell me it tastes like chocolate, and you tell me, but I put in cinnamon, and I put in sugar, and I put in everything, I go, but if it still tastes like chocolate, where's the chocolate? I'm asking about chocolate here. Right. You're, if you're still overwhelmed, means there's still an area that you're having higher levels of expectation on yourself. I'm not having high, high levels of expectation. That's the thing. I'm just, like, overwhelmed at the fact that young people are coming in Mamish two weeks. Let's understand. Overwhelmed. Let's take that word. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. That means that it's a little bit much to deal what? with. Wait, a little much means I am not able to handle it. Which part are you not able to handle? The cleaning. Which part the of the cleaning? cleaning? If you're saying, now, if you're really have said it's okay if I didn't finish the cleaning, then is it much? Right. That's the problem in a nutshell. But I asked a question. If yes. you claim that you're able to lower your expectations to a level that it's okay, then where is coming in the emotion of overwhelm? I guess it's just me. It's not my kids or anybody ah, so else. Let's take, now household. let's take a step back. Excellent. So now that we have identified that's not the cleaning and it's not that issue, now let me ask in general, do you find yourself someone that things can sometimes be overwhelming or you like to do things for yourself, do things well, or you need to be on a schedule and know that things are working out the way you'd like? No, I'm not a type of person like that. I'm a type of person that a lot of the things I do is spur the moment. Okay, so this question is a little bit hard to answer at this time because there seems to be a certain block, which means your logic, your awareness is on one level and something within yourself, like the subconscious, is having a different answer. So mm -hmm. somewhere, if you're feeling overwhelmed, means logically you've, you've logicalized and said, okay, I'm not expecting of myself certain things, but your body, your emotions are reacting differently. And that's many times what we do in therapy, where we help people recognize, and that's what we call in the therapy world, f denial. Denial doesn't mean someone that doesn't want to hear the truth. 
Denial is when we have them realize there are other stuff going on that you're consciously aware of. So no, I'm openly, I openly admit to people that, you know, X, Y, and Z is my problem. I have no problem doing that, but it's just I'm a little bit overwhelmed because it's just very difficult to get help at this time of the year. So, again, so I appreciate your call. I really do. And Hatzlacha, good luck. Amen. Yes. Uh, get in Chaydish, by the way. I mean, that's right. I get in Thank you for bringing that up. One of the things that I love about Rosh Chaydish is it's always every month a new beginning, a new start. And we can reevaluate how did we do last month? What do we want to do this month? What are our goals? And that is a great area. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718 683 5858. 718 683 5858. We're going to take one or two texts over here that came in. Um, okay, someone called in, how to make a girl more mature. You gave some examples. What would you recommend to mature a bacher of 19 and up? How to mature, it's interesting. I don't know how I would have really someone mature. It's an interesting question, but the way I would probably do it is pretty simple. Responsibility. Giving someone responsibility, give them a task, matures them. Have them do a certain job. I am a very, I'm personally very pro having boys, girls go to camp and be counselors or waiters, have a job. Sukkis, when the bacharim, if they can go sell a sroigim or whatever it should be, give jobs in the house. Parents, don't hesitate to give the teenage 19-year-old boys jobs. You're going to toivel the kalim if you get new kalim. You're going to take certain things out. You'll go to the grocery for six, for six or seven times, whatever it is. Giving them jobs is one of the strongest, most important points out there to raise maturity. Why? Maturity, or what is responsibility, or let's change the word, what is experience? I love this quote, and I usually play around with it. Experience is someone that has made mistakes several times and learned from it. Experience is someone that has made mistakes several times and learned from it. So if they get stuck at the, at the mistake part, then it's a mistake. But if they learn to take this mistake and turn it into a success, what I learned from that, now it's called experience. And when you go to a doctor, you want a top doctor that has experience. You know what experience means? He or she made mistakes, but they learned from it. So if we want our children to be mature, what's maturity? Someone that has gotten stronger, someone that has learned from their mistakes, someone that can say, I made a mistake, own up to it, be responsible, not someone that gets out of it. Maturity is, it's hard, and I'll do it anyhow. When we can do that, those are one of the great secrets out there. So if you want to know how to, give, how to get your 19-year-old boy mature, give him tasks and let him deal with it. Let him make mistakes. Let him fall. Don't jump in there to pick him up. Understand that it's healthy for him to do that. He will learn. And with that is what comes maturity. Thank you for the question. We're going to go to David. David on line one. David, you're on the air with Mordechai. And the number to call in is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Hey, Mordechai, how are you? Baruch Hashem, fantastic. Uh, I just want to put some input about the woman who just called before. She said overwhelmed. Yes. And I, I can hear a resonance and echo in the past when my wife was saying I'm overwhelmed. It means that he's disorganized. And when you disorganize, you don't know where you're starting. It's like you have a mountain in front of you. And there's two ways to go. Or you can go on the top of the mountain, or you can go around the mountain. So it's overwhelmed. It's like seeing, finding it, something... Well, you, you can 
I, I cannot make it. It's impossible for me. So it's overwhelmed. But if you organize and you make it one, two, and you planify your day, and the, every day you, you structure, who's going to do this and that, it will be like one, two, three. That's what I think. So uh, stay on the line, David, because let's discuss it. And we'll, and we'll even discuss why I didn't say that. So first, let's clarify what you're saying. And it's so true. What Reb David is saying over here is that when someone is overwhelmed, that means they have to do certain tasks. They don't know where to start. And usually what happens is they try to go at the biggest one that takes the most time and it's overwhelming. What we try to do and what we focus on is we usually say, let's let's list the tasks that you have to do. Let's go maybe in order of importance. In therapy, we sometimes do something called crisis management. It means before we heal the issue, before we heal the pain, we first got to focus on the priority, on what's right now. And when a brain can organize and say, oh, all I have to do is six tasks. Oh, I could do this task today, the next task tomorrow. I could even be done three days ahead of time. Organizing it and one step, taking one step forward. Unfortunately, in the Alcoholic Anonymous, for those that are addicts, there's a very strong saying, we take one day at a time. And in the, I know in the financial world, there's a concept for people that unfortunately, let's say, make negative trades in the stock market. There's a saying, there's always a Monday morning. Means the weekends, there's always a beginning. If you can take one step at a time, it will deal with the overwhelmingness. And you find that if you think of the whole mountain, the whole trip, it'll never go. The journey of a thousand miles started with the first step. And most people don't start the journey of a thousand miles because they can't take the first step. That's exactly what you're saying, Rob David, right? Organize and take one step at a time, correct? Correct, yes. Now, the reason why I did not make the suggestion to that lady is because I felt I first needed her to be aware of what the issue is. So I heard that there are some things, some points that are overwhelming her. And in order to help her, we need her to acknowledge what are the steps that are overwhelming. Is it that she has too much cleaning? Is it that maybe, I mean, sorry, is it that too many tasks that she has to do and she can't do it? Is it that the house is she cleans it every day and kids make a mess? Is it that she doesn't have enough money to go pay for the help that she needs, so she's struggling, that's overwhelming her? From my experience as a therapist, I find that many times it could be the most minute, smallest detail, and that's what's causing a person to be overwhelmed. And that's why I was trying to help her identify what is her overwhelmness. If she said she lowered her expectations, then she should start feeling less overwhelmed. Now, if she's still overwhelmed, it's close to Pesach, well, what is it? Is it that she can't get organized, but she wasn't able to clarify what was, at least to me, what was the overwhelmness? So if I don't know what it is, yeah, I try true. not to give advice from my experience unless I have a, a pretty clear idea what's happening. But definitely, how to get over overwhelmed. If someone says, I got 15 tasks to do, number one is what we've discussed. Make a list. Number two, I believe in taking the smallest one first, then the greatest one. There are concepts in psychology where they do the other way, and they first take the hardest one, and then when you see you can do the hardest, you can do them all. So it really depends on the case. And there's one other point for us to realize when people are overwhelmed is about lowering expectations. We might have some very high expectations, and they're not humanly possible. And the fourth point is take a break. Just go out for 10 minutes. Today is a magnificent, beautiful day. It's coolish, but there's a smell of spring to it. Somehow, Rosh Chaydesh, this, this feeling of spring is coming. Five minutes, and you feel like a different person. When you're busy in that rut of working and doing the entire time, that's a big difficulty. And the last point is that I find parents, 
are afraid to delegate to their children. And if yeah. you don't have the kids yeah. help out, it gets overwhelming. Kids are there. They are part of the family, just like it's our job as parents to do our jobs. We need to be confident to get our children to help out and for them to do theirs. And theirs means they do it with a smile and they ask, and what else can I help? It could be an hour a day, it could be two hours a day, it could be certain tasks. But don't that feel is, bad. It's good to the, the, the work to the kids. And in that point, that the woman won't be overwhelmed. And That's they right. Can, they make them this is part of the mitzvah. But That's sometimes, right. you know, when Pesach comes, they overdo. That's the only way they can be overdoing things. They're cleaning for the spring. That's they right. Sometimes that way you overwhelmed also, you know? That's right. And it's good for the kids. They want to be part of the family. They'll appreciate it. They'll feel good that they participate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. definitely. Thank you, David, for your information. I agree with you. We're going to go to Yehuda Online 3. Yehuda, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, hi. I want to know what, what's your opinion about getting married, about getting married early. <laughs> well, let's clarify. What do you call early? Nineteen. All right. So now, what's your question? If the oh. guy is mature, go ahead. Or girl's mature, go ahead. If the guy's not mature, they're not. All right. Okay. Thanks. Wait. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let's let's take the second. What's your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I'm all for it. You're all for getting married at nineteen. Yeah. If the guy is not mature. I, I think he is. All right. Now, besides, when the guy has to feel he's mature, do the surroundings around him feel he's mature? I think so. All right. Now, let's clarify. What does maturity mean? I like the question. What would you say, what, how would you define maturity? Independent, responsible. Okay, good. Independent, responsible. Now, you've hit the word. What does the word responsible mean? Because here's what will clarify where I feel a lot of 19-year-olds are not that responsible. Or I should say not that they're not, but to learn what the word means. What would you make an assumption? Again, any guess is right, because I heard this definition, I like it. How would you define responsibility? Reliable? I don't know. You got it. What reliable means is when the going gets tough, I will still do it. Teenagers have a way of saying, I didn't like this class, so I didn't study. I don't like the teacher, so I didn't get up. I don't feel like I'm in the mood of school today. The teacher was mean to me. Now, if a person is mature and responsible, it's what is my job? I need to do this. I need to bring in Parnassah. My wife said something that I don't like. I'm going to work it out, or am I now going to sulk? Am I going to stay in bed? Am I going to say, okay, I'm not giving you money now? Like There are so many different points where people say, you don't do this for me? I'm not going to do that. And they say, oh, act mature. What mature means responsible. What are my tasks? It's hard to clean for Pesach. I'm not in the mood. Imagine now husbands when they're working so hard and literally every penny or you go in debt now for Yontiv. It's so expensive bringing it in and everything that's happening. Maturity is I will figure out a way, responsibility, how to pay for it. I'm not saying I'm not working extra hard. There are times we're going to have to work harder and not say I don't want to. Teenagers are still that semi-kids, semi-adults, where they want the responsibility, but when the going gets tough, they like to drop out. They like to sort of drop it. I can't. It's too hard. Parents do not say I can't. Mothers get overwhelmed. They get anxious. They might yell, but the Pesach will come in. We're trying now to change that, that the parents should, have, should be able to do their responsibilities with ease. The longer we are responsible, the more responsible we are, and we're being forced and pushed to do it without dealing with it, the more stressed and the more anxious we get. 
which means just like we have to clean out a car when it gets dirty, we also need to clean out our emotions. So there's X amount of responsibilities that we can keep on, our, on us until it explodes, but we still have to be able to do that. So if you feel, this 19-year-old feels he's ready for marriage, let's look about, does he take jobs? Do they get difficult, those jobs? And does he still do that? Does he still follow through? What would you say about that, Yehuda? Yeah. So let's take it a step further. When I see many times, when I work sometimes with the teens at risk and they want to get married at 19 and 20, I'm usually against it, very wholeheartedly against it. Why? For the simple reason they are not, many of them are missing the basic tools, how to get along with people. They're missing how to get along when it gets tough. They're stuck in the blame game. It's this one's fault. It's that one's fault. If you would have only done this for me or that for me, then I would be different. Now, we're not doubting that they're in pain. But marriage is a huge responsibility. Metzeshem, bringing a child into this world is even a greater responsibility. And a lot of them are missing the word responsibility that when the going gets tough to keep on going. And that's a focus that I would say if the person is 19, he's able to do that and shown he's responsible, go ahead with the greatest of pleasures. In fact, in, the, in, fact, in the Chesidish world, at 19 is a very healthy age or might even be starting to get older to get married. So that's my little thought, al regal achas. Thank you very much. You're welcome. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. We got over here two questions I'd like to address. One of them is especially because they are playing on my emotions. It's Lil Nishmas, my father. For those of you that are tuning in or listening now, I have a phone line done Lil Nishmas, my father. That was Nifter about four, four and a half years ago. So this, uh, this question is a little nishmas your father, so it should be a schus the answer. Unfortunately, the answer doesn't seem that simple, but my husband has panic attacks, anxiety, and his BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. Whoa, that's a big one, just saying each of these three together. We found a good therapist for him. He starts to Here starts the question. Both, both of us, age 33, grew up in a community wearing yarmulkes all day. And from one week to another, he changed to wear it only at certain times. And the observant therapist agrees with him by saying that some rabbis allow it. I thought that the therapist is just playing the game to calm down my husband. But I spoke to the therapist and he means it. I think that it's very important to wear it at all times because himself and especially because my two little boys. The job of a therapist is to help deal with problems rather than saying opinion. But... Maybe here is a difference because the therapist claims that it's not so essential. I also have to take into account that starting a new therapist is a risk for him. I got over, we got over two, three different questions here, all mixed in one, combined in one. Number one, is a therapist ever allowed to give an opinion when they do things? It depends on the role. And here, let me clarify what I mean. In some of the trainings that I have, I explain that there are three different roles. There's a role where a therapist sometimes is almost judge and jury. It's a different type of therapy, and it's very much called behavioral therapy, where there are rules that we stick to, the behavioral, the therapist has got to mention them or agree them with the client. But once we hit a target, it's behavior. You got to do it. Why didn't you do it? You got to be on top of it. 
That's where a therapist is very much giving orders. Then there is the cognitive therapy where a therapist works with you. So they're going with you in the situation. They might agree with you. They might disagree, but it's a discussion form. Then there is subconscious therapy where the therapist almost is a non-existent. And that's where Carl Rogers and those that know about the Freud therapy, psychodynamics. It's where you're going into the world and you give very little opinion almost at all. You're just reflecting it that the person should hear their thoughts and make and come up with their own ideas and recognize their their concepts that they said and go, oh, that doesn't make sense. Each of these modalities work. Each of these, a therapist needs to learn how to master, which means me being on the radio giving advice, when the clients, that those of you that heard me on the radio or hear my suggestions come to me for therapy, they go, oh, you're very different. I go, exactly. The role that I do on radio is more directive. It's more behavioral as well as more on a cognitive level. But most of my clients that I work on in my private practice is more subconscious type therapy that we do. So now you mentioned your husband's got panic attacks and anxiety. That's one type of therapy. BPD, completely different type of therapy. Marriage counseling, a complete different type of therapy. And I wonder if the therapist is able to manage all of them. Sometimes people make fun of therapists where they go, oh, you got to go to four or five therapists. And I try actually to have me, let's say, try to do several steps of the therapy. But many times there's a client, a therapist, where I need someone else to do a different role. BPD is one type of therapy. Working panic attacks and anxiety is another. Marriage is another. And I wonder what your issues are that you need. So being that it's so complicated, I just wanted to give you the awareness and thank you of doing it with my father, Rabbi Yosef Daniel, Yenali Melech, Ben Reb David. I appreciate that. And it should be a schus, everything that we do here for his neshama. And I also appreciate from the long, long way where you sent this question from. So thank you. We are going to take Devorah on line one. Devorah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Devorah, hi, you're on the air. Is like being silly a kind of being immature? Like immature is like mature is like responsible and everything, but like is being silly is that called immature? Abs- in my opinion, absolutely not. Being immature is the process or of being able to enjoy life. The ones that are smiling. When is someone? Uh, it's actually Rav Hutner brings down his sefer that says when is when is there laughter? Laughter comes when we get the unexpected. So one of the reasons that they explain why Sari Menu, when the, when the Malachim told her, you're going to have a child, and Tzachik, she laughed, is because it was something that was so inconceivable, and that's when you hear something that you couldn't imagine, that's when laughter happens. So if you think about, if you focus on a Batchan, when do we laugh? When we have one expectation to the joke, and you get a complete opposite twist, and it's funny. So I find that when someone is, let's say, a little immature and it's done in a fun way, in a responsible manner, at a responsible time, then it's actually very positive. These people are 60, 70, 80 years young instead of 7, 10, 20, 30 years old. I've recently met a 14-year-old, and I'm going to use the word old, Bacher. So serious, I felt like he's 80 years old, the responsibility. So we need to be able to balance maturity as well as laughter, happiness. So now, you, can you explain to me when you use the word, let's say, immaturity or silliness, would you say it's an immature type of silliness or it's a mature type, but they're able to get people laugh? More like immature. Well, then if it's immature, then I think you've answered the question. Okay. <laughs> right? What would say is the answer? It's like... 
What? What would you say if it's if you feel they're immature? What would you say is that would you say it's healthy to be immature then, or is that a sign is that a sign of maturity or not? Not really. Okay. You got it. Thank you for calling in. Shira, on line two, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, Shira. Um, okay, um, I have a son-in-law who um, has a very um, stressful job, and he also has very strong anger issues. <laughs> um, as his job gets more stressful, his anger gets worse. Yes. It's affecting his health. It's affecting my daughter's house and it's affecting my grandchildren. Yes. So how do I get him to realize that he has a real problem? Because he says, well, if you had the pressures I had, you'd do this too. Um, and where do I go for help? Let's take a step back. And this is going to sound a little bit tough. I'm going to say, what's your role in the story? It means, are you still supporting them? No, Will no, no, no. They're married a long time. They're, they're, no, no. He has, he has a very good job, but it's an extremely stressful job. Um, the reason why I was asking wasn't in the terms of, let's say, are you supporting? It's just how involved are you in the lives, like where you have a say? Many times when parents are supporting, they have more of a say in the in the life. No, well, we have a good relationship. I, I we, you know, but but he, I, I, he does not think that he, his problem is a real problem. He thinks his problem is due to the stresses of life. What do you expect? But it's it's no. His, Reaction to things is, is beyond what it ought to be. Now, let's take it to the next level. What about your daughter? What does she think about this whole story? She's married to him. Right. I think that of late, she thinks that it's, it's become a problem, too. And I know my grandchildren do because they've confided in me that they do. Yeah. That they're so the, what happens is, and I'm going to discuss something that I heard. So we'll, we'll say as if I don't know, but... Dr. Abraham Tversky, which I find it was a schuss to have him over here on the program, he mm -hmm. wrote a book, Shame Born in Silence. And he was the first one to ever discuss. Now, I'm not saying chasash on the head. I just want to just to understand. He was the first one to write about 20 years ago, maybe even almost 30 years ago, a book about physical abuse that's happening in the firm world right. between spouses. And he was literally ostracized. That's what I heard. So I, I haven't never spoken to this when I spoke to him. I never asked him about that. But rumors that I heard. So was that they're all upset as if this doesn't exist. Right. Well, really Hashem, as far as I know, there's no, no, no I don't physical even want to go there. I don't want to go there. I just want to get you the concept. Right. What happens is, and this is why we're going to go there, is to every abusive situation, and right. please forgive me for saying this, is yeah. there is something called codependence. Absolutely. Co codependence means the spouse has certain fears or concerns that if I'm going to confront my husband or my wife, Right. I want to be very clear. As I work primarily or mostly with husbands, you will right. be surprised how many women are abusive and how many men are codependent. It means they're afraid to be assertive to stop it. We're not going into now why, why, where, or how, but it's happening all over. It's not just one way. Now, I'm not trying to defend all those men saying they're back. I'm just stating a fact for those husbands that are listening. Just because you might not be man enough to admit it, or you might be afraid, or you think you're the only one, let me tell you you're not. It's out there, and it needs to be dealt with. Now, I'm not talking about no physical abuse. We're talking about exactly what you're discussing. Codependence means when one of the spouses are doing some major behavioral or not healthy behaviors or negative behaviors, and you are too weak to stop it. Now, right. the, the weakness comes from many different sayings. 
Speak to a Rav about it, because the Rabbanim will tell you it's not about this case. Just like Hilcha Shabbos, you're not allowed to drive a car, but if you're a Hatzalah member, you're saving someone's life, you're allowed to. To every halacha, there's a time when yes and when no. You need to ask a Rav. I'm not saying chas v'shalom, that it's not true. Of course, but at the same time, you got to know how to do it. Right. So what happens is, my recommendation is going to go as follows. You want to do your daughter a favor? Recommend to her that you'll send her for therapy. You'll sponsor it. You'll right. let her start getting awareness. Get her a book on codependence. Let's find out what your daughter's weaknesses are, why she's afraid to say stop. And you'll find many women that will well, come for, forward. For, huh? for one reason is because for years he's been telling her that she's not up to snuff and, you know has worn her down to that's the point right. where that's she believes that she right. isn't. But now, Ma, we need you to take a step back. This right. is a dance. This is an inner issue that she has within herself. Now, I need to clarify right. to everyone over there. Codependence means we're not blaming you for your husband or your wife's negative behaviors. Not at all in any which way. He's got an anger issue. He's missing the tools how to deal with anger. And there are systems and tools how to learn, how to, for him to learn that. We're not excusing right. his behavior. What we are saying is the reason why it's happening around you is because part of you has got a certain weakness or fears. Uh -huh. And because mm -hmm. of that, you're not not able to stop this. So just to give you an example, when I get this codependence and these spouses come in saying, I can't stop them, we go, okay, is there one person this person's afraid of? Oh yeah, I have one son, one daughter, oh my gosh, he or she would not dare do anything. Why? Because they're so strict, they're so mean. They wouldn't talk, they didn't talk to him for a week and he learned his lesson. You're going to find that being that we have our weaknesses and that is what is replaying, or that's what's playing over and over. When we change our dance, codependence is about changing your dance. And almost at all times, when you change your dance, the uh, abuser, we'll call it mm -hmm. that term, or the unhealthy person will have to change, either, either for the better or for the worse. But the situation mm -hmm. changes where now the person has to face it. You as a mother telling her, I told you so, it's got to stop, it's affecting the children. No, 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 I'm I don't just being tell aware, continues that negative dance. So right. many times you have the dance, the husband's angry, the daughter keeps quiet because she's afraid, the mother tries to reinforce you, you got to get stronger, it's affecting the kids, the kids just told me this. And right. as this dance continues going on for years and years, it's not healthy. And being that you're a parent, you're emotionally involved and you're pained watching that. Right. And the recommendation is, I am willing to help sponsor a therapist. The therapist will not get involved in Shalom Bias. This is not about your husband. It's about you. You getting uh -huh. stronger. It's about you owning up to your part in it. And it's amazing, amazing how situations change when the person just so focuses I should on start themselves. With, with her, not with him. Not with him. He's got nothing to do with it right now. As long as he can get away with it and we're stuck in a negative behavior, it will continue. Mm -hmm. Unless either he takes responsibility and says, I need to change. Mm -hmm. Or she's the one that says, I do not want to put up with this fear or the concern. When will he blow up? What will happen at work today that I have no control over? And he'll now come home angry and ruin a fantastic, wonderful day that we had. This living right. in fear is abuse. Right. It's emotional abuse. Absolutely. And it goes on. And the longer they are stuck, unfortunately, not to scare you, but your grandchildren are taught now one out of two behaviors. Either I become aggressive right. or I become suppressive. Right. And either I become the abuser or, unfortunately, I will become the, abuse. the abused. And I see these patterns over and over and over. So the way to do it is, my recommendation is, be there for your daughter. Tell her, listen, I see what's going on. I feel it's not healthy. I'm willing to financially help support it. I'm willing to give you chizik, willing to get you 
books for that, but you need to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. You need to tell me. You cannot complain to me anymore how the kids are affected. Absolutely not. That's continuing. That's enabling the pain to continue. She speaks to you. Ah, oh, the pain is out, and it continues. No, I do not want to hear this. This is a pattern that you need now professional guidance how to deal with. Speaking to me, keeping me involved, will actually keep the pain involved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that question. I appreciate you bringing it up. But let me tell you how brave you you are because this is happening, unfortunately, very often in our from world. And the more people hear about it, the more people are listening, the more we're creating the awareness that people should start hearing the solution, at least not feel alone before they go to the solution. Before solutions take place, we first need to have awareness. And the guts to be able to speak publicly is very powerful and very strong. So you are a strong person. And hopefully, Merit Hashem, your daughter will take strength from you and use you as a modeling to be able to say, this has got to stop. So thank you, Shira, for calling in. Greatly appreciate it. We're going to go to Javi. Javi, on line one, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, Javi. Um, okay, hi. First of all, thank you so much for your phone line and your show. They're amazing. My and pleasure. I hope you continue helping people. You're doing a great job. Amen. My question about your British accent. You're in America calling in with a British accent or you're from England? I'm from England. From England, because we've actually got several texts that I've read. I haven't said which one they're from because they asked not to, but we've gotten several texts over here from England. So that's nice to get that, to hear that we've got a listening contingency all the way from England. Mm -hmm. Okay. My question is about someone I'm good with, a friend of mine. Um, She has a habit which a habit is the wrong word, I'll explain in a minute. She, it, she talks about it all day, she thinks about it all day, she looks out for it all day, which basically occupies her entire day. It doesn't let her do anything else, doesn't let her allow to look in the future and do anything else. The reason why I'm saying a habit is the wrong word is because it's not something like biting nails, it's not something, you know, just little, it's something which halakhically is not allowed, and I know you're not a rav and you're not going to pass on this, but I don't need to answer it as like biting nails. I want it as a therapist's point of view. It's not a little issue, something just, you know, it's more of a bigger, something much more, and it is detrimental to her. It doesn't let her do anything else. It focuses her entire day, and that's all she thinks about it. Okay. I want to know, my question is, how can I get her to get rid of this habit? I've spoken to her a lot about it, and I have, you know, I've made her aware that really it's not right. And she says, I know it's not right, but what should I do? It brings me joy. What, what should I do? All right, so let me ask you. I've literally, I've had some little stomach aches uh, a couple of days ago. What do you think it is? It's, I'll explain to you why I'm using this analogy. This what do you mean? My stomach's been hurting me for a couple of days now. What do I do about it? Go to the doctor. Okay, why can't you just tell me what to do? I'm not a doctor. Exactly. Now, your friend might have several issues, might be OCD, might be high anxiety, might be several other points, and we got to be able to diagnose, so we got to know what it is. If it's any of those, as a friend, you're not trained or qualified or have experience how to deal with it. If it's so detrimental, as you're saying, it's affecting her life. Now, imagine I tell you I'm getting chest pains and I feel my heart, chas v'shalom, is like bothering me. Would you then say, and it's affecting the life, as you're saying that, would you then ask a friend, so I should ask my friend, you know, just take the stethoscope, just listen to my heart. Like, what's the big deal? Doctors do that. Just listen. It's beating. It's okay. Like, we don't even know what we're listening to. I know. I don't know what I'm listening to if I would listen to my heart in a stethoscope. Mm -hmm. So if your friend has got an issue that's taking up her mind all the time, it might even be a level where therapy cannot even help at this point, and we need medication. There might be so much going on that we're not aware of, 
and you want that all al regal achas in like 30 seconds or less? <laughs> no. So can you advise me basic points, how to get rid of a habit? Certainly. Get her to it. a therapist, basically. Just that? Um, well, Anything I'm else asking, I could I'm do telling to... you my heart. I've got a little pain on my heart. Like, just tell me basically what to do. So I shouldn't do any work? Like, I should just rest a little? You're mm -hmm. telling me your friend has got an issue that's detrimental to her, that's halachically she's not able to stop, it's affecting her all over, and you're using the word detrimental. It's very serious. If it's very serious, I need you and those listening to recognize mental health is not a little issue. Mental health, unfortunately, right. there are people that are taking their lives. There are people that are going over the derech. There are people that are damaging themselves and their family members. We need to start looking at mental health as an illness, not as a chasarn in amunah betachen, not as someone that just has a little problem. It's a huge issue that couples get divorced, children get affected. People, right, and if and, and I've, I actually asked her if she wants to go for help. She said no. Well, what that's not an option. That? Now let's go to the next step. You talking to her sometimes might be actually making it harder. Which means, imagine someone, let me give you an example. Someone's got a broken leg. You see clearly it's broken. The foot is swollen. You almost see blown bone coming out. Now, you know that they need to go to a doctor, but they're afraid. I don't want to go to a doctor. So they're in bed, and they're asking you, bring, please bring me breakfast, lunch, and supper. They're a mother. Now, please take care of my kids. You go, but you need a doctor. I don't want to go. Are you helping her by taking care of her kids? Giving no. her, bringing her breakfast, lunch, and stuff, and then she can't go to the bathroom. So now you got to carry her. But what about your life? Are you helping her? Mm -hmm. Why not? So, you're doing her. And then she says, you're doing the greatest toy. But look, these two weeks you helped me, my kids were smiling. Mm -hmm. So what, what should I do? So you need to recognize, and for those of you listening, helping someone with a mental disorder that's clearly a mental disorder is actually harming them. The longer they're not getting surgery if it's that serious for a broken leg, the longer they're not getting a cast is actually going to cause bigger pain and the therapy that's needed will be that much longer. And that's where we call in the negative term enablers. Uh, the definition enabling is a positive word, like I am enabling you to get stronger, I am mm -hmm. helping you get stronger. In the Freudian psychodynamic terms, enabling is a negative, where we want to feel good or we want to help someone, but through our help, through our intervention, we're actually harming them. Your friend, and sometimes in the therapy term, again, in the addiction language, we call it hitting rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your friend needs to get worse. I'm not managing. Well, then go for help. No, I'm but not she, going to She wouldn't do that. What? She wouldn't do that. If of I wouldn't tell her that it's wrong, she knows it's wrong, but she would never, ever, ever open up to anyone else. She wouldn't That is wouldn't your mistake. Help. If no one is going to help her, how bad is the situation going to get? A year it will continue, two years is going to continue, but when will it happen when it's finally those thoughts are going to start turning to action? Mm -hmm. That is addiction. I don't know if it's OCD, I don't know if it's something else, because there are several, you're not telling me what it is, and I don't want to know what it is, but that's also an addict. And many addictions are going for therapy for years, not weeks, years, but they need to acknowledge that they're an addict. You need to start, we need to take away all these enablers. I know you mean to help her. And I'm sorry to tell you that, but chances are you might even be harming her. I don't even know, chas if you're going to be getting schar, you might even be getting the other way around. And I'm just speaking this strongly. I'm not talking specifically about your case, but people listen to these programs. And I want to create the awareness. Many times by you helping, it's unhealthy. I can tell you I've got a client that keeps on telling me, but I want to come back to you. But at a certain point, I felt they're not coming, they're not getting help by me. They've turned me into their addiction. 
They've turned, mm -hmm. I'm going to ask Mordechai and he'll, he'll take care of my problems. No. At a certain point, you got to start standing on your own. I will not take back that client. Go to somewhere else or I will, I will make the referral. I've made the referral. I will even clarify to that therapist to be aware that this is a client that's looking to be dependent instead of independent and is looking to turn therapy into a crutch for life. And if the therapist is a healthy therapist which does peer supervision and works on themselves, won't get caught up into the trap. Many times, even quote-unquote the therapist, I have removed myself from cases for that reason. It takes a strength. It's painful. They're going to cry and beg you to take them. But are you helping them or are you making it worse by you being involved? That's something you need to get advice from. Speak to someone that either works with addictions. Get a therapist to guide you because you are dealing with life and death situations, if not physically, but at least rachnius or mentally. And when you find out later, oh, their children are on medication, their children are going off the derech, you need to know, did I help this person or am I partial to cause for that because I did not seek professional help for this heavy case. Mm, okay, thank you so much. You're very welcome. So therefore, I apologize. I can't give you the tools because I feel it's going to be unhealthy for me to give you tools how to help her other than tell you to get for you to get help. You're involving, you're doing open heart surgery without any guidance. Speak mm -hmm. to a therapist. You want to do it, speak to Rav if you can take it from your or You go to an addiction therapist and get advice. How do I help over here? Okay, thank you so thank much. Thank you very much calling all the way from England. I appreciate the call. Chaim, you're on the air with Mordechai. For those of you, the number to call in listening, it's 718-683-5858, Chaim, on line five, you're on the air with Mordechai. Mordechai, first of all, <clears throat> yes. I want to compl compliment you. <clears throat> Thank you. On the fact that you're Mikhaim, called the law of Yehavim Nachas. You have a certain Nachas in how you deal with people, you deal and talk to them. And that's a great, great service to Kuala Yisrael. Thank you, Reb Chaim. Just before we go any further, Reb Chaim, yep. every time you call, I need you to know that the phones almost literally ring off the air. I get messages. And last time you called on the Lakewood Scoop, someone even asked, what is your name to say Tehillim for? So your my story... Name, my name? I don't know if you want to share it publicly, but I just want you to There's be no aware... no problem sharing it publicly. I know, but I just want you to be aware that... I don't know if you know that people care about you, but I get calls all the time after, and people are always asking, how are you doing with an update? So for those of you listening, let me just share with you Reb Chaim's story. He's called in three times, and it's almost a heart-wrenching story that he had a certain medical condition, and due to the medical condition, it has caused a severe depression and anxiety and other points. And every time that happens, and there's almost no medication that can be done in your life, and you're going through major sadness, major pain. And you've mentioned that sometimes when people try telling you Amunah and Betachen, you have Amunah, you have the Betachen. It's just almost chemically induced from medication. Correct? Correct. So I, I don't want to be repetitive or redundant other than to say my everything I've suffered from has deteriorated to levels that are unspeakable. I, I, I appreciate your offer. The, the oilum could be misspelled for Chaim Israel ben for 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 a full or some kind of a Yeshua. Amen. I I I, re, I, re, I reminded you of the fact that you explained last time how to deal with medical anxiety in general, which was to picture 
scenario in your life that brings you joy. That's what I remember. Yes. But now that you, I, I remember that general advice. Unfortunately, this is obviously not the forum, the correct or proper forum, to deal with this type of an issue, either intellectually or emotionally. But I feel I'm no braver. You're such a koyach, and you're such a that I reach out to you through this medium of tele- telecommunications and of sheer, call it panic, call it desperation. I, 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 don't, I don't, certainly don't want to get into professional psycho-labeling. Yes. It is just unbearable. We're on the eve of Pesach. For me, there, 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 there is, for me, and possibly for my children, it's almost as if there can be no more Pesach. It is just, you know, whatever, whatever that means. I don't really, I don't really want to enumerate it. You're too intuitively smart, and you're too much of a, of a very calm, articulate person for me to enumerate the reason for my call, and I'm taking away time from other people, which I do not want to do. So I just have to say that my condition has deteriorated to a point of emotional paralysis or emotional death. Whatever term is more applicable. Uh, a rove came to me this week, and I told the rove the only way I can summarize what I'm holding is that me, in my existence, I no longer exist, and I don't even know how to tell it to you for you to respond or, or give chizuk in any way briefly. It's very unfair of me to do this. So all I appreciate is hearing your voice connect with mine. That's all I want and that's all I can expect realistically because you are engaged and you're in helping other people and in your parnasa and you're much too busy. But that is the fact that my condition has deteriorated and the ripple effect on my children and grandchildren and my friends has grown exponentially to a state of total panic or suicide. If there was a way, logically, that I could commit suicide, it represents, I think I told you this already last time, it represents relief to me. So I, all I would like from you is to give me uh, two minutes or three minutes uh, a piece of advice. I have talked to people. I consult regularly, Baruch Hashem, Rabbanim come to me all the time. Psychologists, I have consulted with as many outsiders as I feel would be beneficial. None of them have your koyach habibur. They may all be, uh, I'm not saying who is smart or not. So therefore I turn to you again out of sheer desperation. Sheer desperation. Thanking you for an answer. So let's, yes, Reb Chaim, I'm going to make a different suggestion, which is very different. And before we make the suggestion, I'd like for those listening to understand, I want to clarify what you're feeling on a certain level and for people to be able to connect to it. And I feel your situation, many people have not your level at all, but they go through difficult times and they're not aware. And I think you've eloquently described it 
So you've been able to verbalize what others feel, but don't put words to their feelings. And that is as follows. There's a concept which people call midlife crisis. Midlife crisis is when a person is working 20, 30 years, they're 50 years old, and all of a sudden they say, you know something, I'm really not happy with who I am. I've been working so long, I've been trying, living a certain type of lifestyle, but it's not who I am. And for them at that time or at that moment, it's almost like Lahavdal, a death. And they say, I'm willing to go to extremes to change the way that I'm living because I am not feeling alive. I'm feeling dead in this situation. And unfortunately, we hear of stories where people in their 40s, 50s are going off the derech. And this is one of those reasons. It means within themselves, they've had a darkness or a blackness. It has never been verbalized. <clears throat> They're just going, doing the outside behaviors. But inside, it's not affecting them at all. And after a while of doing a behavior or years of doing a behavior without understanding or without a heart, then the body almost has, let's say, or the brain has like an emotional death and says, I got to be alive. I got to do anything to survive. And unfortunately, they make extreme decisions or extreme moves. And what happens is they do new lives and they feel great the first couple of months or maybe even years. But then the unhappiness is within themselves. And therefore, they find problems in that life. And from there, their life goes lower, lower, and lower. Now let's take that concept and take it to your Chaim. The way you speak, was, as we've said every time, you sound highly intelligent, like a huge Talmud Chacham as well. And for whatever reason, whatever procedure, whatever had to get done, but physically or chemically, your brain is now creating or is not being able to create the happy, positive feelings of life and it just has a depression, you're stuck in that. They've tried, as, you told, as you've shared with us all, almost every type of medication and form, and it hasn't helped. And now your question is, how can I go on? And what makes it so difficult with any bit of advice is because the goal is to give you tools that will turn on and create that happy hormone again, that positive feeling of, I can feel good. And since it's almost like being blocked is like a blanket that's covering it all the time, it makes that case so much harder. But there's something that I have found, and there is a, I'm going to recommend sort of the idea. There is a guy, his name is not a guy, his name is Viktor Frankl. Have you ever heard the name? Uh, it's Victor, Victor Frankl, the man who wrote that book. That's uh, right, Man's Search for Meaning. Search for Meaning? That's right. Viktor Frankl is someone that has survived the Holocaust. He was a medical doctor, a psychiatrist, and when he had to survive the Holocaust, he realized, and that's what he writes in the book, that when people, when he saw that the spark left them, like they lost their meaning for whatever life they had, within two to three days they were killed, be it in the work labor, be it in a concentration camp. The minute you saw the, spike, the spark go out, within two, three days the person died. He made a therapy called logotherapy. Logo, as he says it in Latin, means meaning. If you have a meaning in life, then it can create happiness. So he gives an example where someone came to him and said, Doctor, I'm depressed. I'm in huge debt. He told the guy, well, what makes you happy? He says, I love helping people. He said, volunteer in the hospital. And the guy tells him, but volunteering, I won't be making any money. And he said, doesn't matter. When you have a meaning, when you have purpose in life, you'll see how things change. And the person told him, within a couple of weeks of volunteering, his mood improved, he felt great, he was able to get a job, and life has turned around by that way. I don't know what would be meaning for you 
to have that battle, that maybe that can help it. Because again, there is a chemical reason for your severe depression or lethargy that you're feeling. But maybe being that grandfather to your grandchildren, imagine if you were not there, how would the Seder look? How would your children look? They could still say Manashtana to, to you. They can still say in whatever language you say it, that they have a father. Unfortunately, when someone doesn't have a parent, they still say Tatalebim. They still say the Manashtana, but they think about their father in heaven, and they also think about the Rabbanishlam who they're saying it to. Every day that you're alive, your children know, I have a father. Every day that you're alive, your grandchildren know, I have a Zaydi. And they know, and you sound like a Talmud Chacham, you sound like a strong person. You sound like someone that before this has happened was a highly accomplished person. Recognize that people can either remember you as the weak person or they can remember the successful person that you are that just had a situation why you couldn't continue. Think about how you can, what you message you can give the children now and the grandchildren before the Seder, Zaydi, do you know what I did? Be strong, be confident for them. Maybe that can be a meaning for you. Maybe you need to take a job. Maybe you need to start giving people chizik. Maybe you need to be able to do a teleconference. Start speaking publicly. Start, what would give you the meaning in your life that maybe that will be strong enough to be able to fight this chemical or biological induced situation that you're in? But find that meaning. So I would ask you, Rav Chaim, is there anything that would give you a meaning, giving a share, speaking, managing, you sound like a strong person. Sounds like you need to do like that would be on a grander scale of just one-on-one. Yes. <clears throat> the answer is yes. Without getting into details, the answer is yes. Um, there is some talk about my <laughs> actually giving, hosting a radio program on this show, on this station, but that's for a different time. Mordechai, I love the way you talk. I love your answer. And I'm not saying how you talk to me. Because logotherapy and man in search of meaning, I don't know, part of my whole yush, part of my whole personal depression, part of my whole personal depression is, of course, that the depression is so severe that almost every logical method of relief has abandoned me, notwithstanding the fact that Alpi Musser, Hashem, this Tukufa, Rosh Hashiva came to me and said, this is a Tukufa that Hashem gave you to use and to utilize, and we all have to think about it, and all these things are wonderful thoughts. But again, you are a special person. You are demonstrating how special you are every single time you're on the radio. I know how special you are whenever you deal with patients in your practice. You are a special person. Thank you. My, my level of depression is, uh, is it's a wrong approach, and I know it's a wrong approach to do this. I told you this the first time I called. It is wrong. I'm just doing it in passing. It's impossible to understand what I've experienced. It's wrong to mention it. It's wrong to say it, and I know it's wrong to say it. Because it's, it, it's a, a trite truism. <laughs> of course, you can't. Chaim, we have a text that came in about 101 seconds ago. 
And we're not going to give, I just want you to know how the messages are coming in. One message was, Reb Chaim, can you please re-say your name so we can daven for you. Can you get Reb Chaim's address? Another one, can we get Reb Chaim's address so we can all send him things to show how much we all care for him. Another one is Reb Chaim, we care about you. I listen every week to the program to see for an update how you're doing. I mean, these are just three, four messages that have come in since we're speaking. And I don't get this from others. I get once in a while someone saying, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you respond? Your question, every time you call, there are a number of comments that come. I don't know, as you said, I don't know what there is and your situation is a lot more severe than regular suggestion or advice. If you get any nechama, know that people that are listening to you are really touched every time people hear this. Okay, so therefore, let us, if, if with your indulgence, maybe we can adjourn now because I don't feel yes. comfortable taking this amount of time from you. And I, I will tell the island with a bakasha. I don't know the basis of this. And I remember the Gemara, you know, there's a, uh, that, that says, you know, there's a whole shyla about whether to be misfiring to publicize. But for those who want to be misfiring, my name is Chaim Israel Ben Devara. We just got two more messages. What is his name, please? You just said it. It's it's so clear. I want to cry to Hashem, please. Another one. Reb Chaim sounds like a huge Talmud Chacham, and whatever giving. It's just amazing. People are just. I want you to know. I we get questions all the time. Every week we're here, every time you call Reb Chaim, you have a way that people just care about you, and there's something about you that everyone but, but just remember, responds. If you can do that to strange listeners, Reb Chaim, I could imagine what you're doing to your family, to your children, and remember, to your grandchildren. Remember, oh. Wherever you go, you, 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 you project, and you embody Nachas. You are you are the example of what he should become. And We're getting I, I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to go any further. Okay. Because if, if I could have had, if I could have pushed a button and found a, a therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, medical doctor, I've been told the biggest doctors, who could administer uh, subconscious analysis, conscious analysis, a pill, a medication, anything to provide some relief, I would have, and I did my hishtamlis. But right now, my hishtamlis at this moment is to tell you that you are mechayim komiluhoch dehebenachas. It's an amazing accomplishment, I must say. Amazing. Even those in Kalei who are soft-spoken, that's not the definition of nachas. You are mechayim komiluhoch dehebenachas. Thank you. Nachas is a special gender which you have. And therefore, I want to adjourn because yes. I just don't One feel thought just to leave with you, time. if you'd like to stay on hold when we adjourn now, just because there's someone that would like to contact you, feels they might have experience to help or in the medical term. I'm not sure what it is. I just got this message from Aaron, our wonderful, loyal person over here, which answers all the calls, make sure everyone gets there. Okay. So just stay on the line, and I'm not sure who it is that that person. Again, Chizik for Reb Chaim. I've been through a lot. My heart goes out to you. The messages that people are just pouring in over here is fantastic. Reb Chaim, thank you all. The Rabbi Shalom should send you a Rafua Shalema. We know Nisan Nigol, Nisan Asidin Ligol. The Rabbi Shalom is the Hakal Yachal. 
Many times chemically there are, for whatever reasons that you're in this situation, biologically that's now happened, but we know we're Mamina B'nai Mamina, that the Rabbi Shalom will take us out, will help us. Eya Asha Eya, the Rabbi Shalom was with us, will be with us, and I'm sure he's with you, and the Rabbi Shalom should just give you the Kayach to continue Amen. and going. So just stay on the line, and Amen. Aaron will get your information or find out who is this person that would like to speak to you. Thank you. Um, we are going to, first, the number to call, and for those of you that like to call, ask your question or comment in the psychological field, mental health field, the number is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. Looking forward to taking your question or comment. We're going to take a question over here from the Lakewood School. Can you please explain the complex post-traumatic stress disorder and how do you overcome it? So let's, and also, can you help it? Oh, let's get the glasses back on over here. Do you have to go into the subconscious? Post-traumatic stress disorder means, first of all, it's diagnosed after a month uh, that the person post the stress, or I think it might even be six weeks post the stress, but post the trauma, I should say. Uh, let's clarify what PTSD stands for, what it means when you say post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder means that, imagine you have a filer, and when we have a certain stress, we know how to file this. If there's anger, we file it in the, in the folder of anger, and when we file it in that area, we bring up now all the information. How do you deal with anger? You discuss it, you confront the person, you take deep breathing, you relax, whatever solutions are out there, you have several solutions, and that's how you deal with the anger. If someone is sad, something happened, you now take out the sad folder, and we have different tools how to process the sadness. Post-traumatic stress disorder means that the brain got a huge emotion, and we'll call it, let's say, a trauma that the brain went through from 1 to 10, let's say a level 10. We have the tools how to deal with stressful situations of from 1 to 6, but anything above 6, we don't have the tools. Now there's this huge emotion right in front of us that we cannot process that. When we cannot process an emotion, what happens is wherever we go, we see that emotion. We are overwhelmed. The number, by the way, for those of you to call in to ask your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. I see so many of you are texting and I appreciate the text, but we prefer and we would rather take the callers because it makes it a lot more interesting. So yes, we're reading a question from the Lakewood Scoop. We'll take a question or two from the texting, but I like to have the balance with mostly to have, I should say, with callers. So the number is 718 683 5858. What so when someone goes through a trauma, take for an example, someone has a unfortunately a car accident and they don't know how to deal with that emotion, with that feeling, what we need to do is, or what has to happen is we need to be able to process that. If you can't process it on your own, people are then afraid to go in the car. They're afraid when their children go in the car. Every accident that they, that they hear about, even if they'll go into the car, they're going to go, you see, driving is really not safe. Why? Because the fear was not able to be processed. If the fear was not able to be processed wherever we go, that is what we are going to see in front of our eyes. Post-traumatic stress disorder means that a person went through a huge trauma. It has passed over a month and the brain has not been able to process that. In order to be diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder, it also needs to be something that's not 
in a situation that's happening right now, means you're not going through the trauma currently. And it's also something that's possible that should cause it. So if you just hurt yourself, that's, we're not calling that trauma unless you're going through other issues. So trauma must be something stronger, must be something that has passed the trauma. Otherwise, we call it more crisis and on, on a different diagnosis. And do you need to do subconscious? Sometimes, but sometimes they need tools. It's very complicated to say what therapy is needed. But one of the therapeutic tools are needed that I do believe is, yes, subconscious will be needed, but you first got to do other steps ahead of time. So post-traumatic stress disorder, I believe you need an entire array of therapy, which means you need cognitive behavioral therapy, you need subconscious therapy. You can also use some of the mindfulness tools, some of the points that DBT has been bringing in, just tools. When you're feeling overwhelmed, what to do? Or if you go to a real cognitive behavioral therapist, that will do. When I feel overwhelmed, what solutions do I have? What thoughts? Challenging the thoughts, challenging the behaviors. But PTSD is treatable, Bachshan, very treatable, but you got to go for therapy. You got to work on that. If it doesn't work, know that there are other, th there are other modalities that can help as well. Thank you for the question. We are going to go to Shaina or Shira on line two. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Hi. What's your name? Shaina Goodman. Shaina. Okay. Thank you. I didn't actually. I'm glad you felt comfortable to share your last name, but I just Shaina. Very good. The number yeah. for the by the way for those of you that would like to call and ask your question is seven one eight six eight three fifty eight fifty eight seven one eight six eight three five eight five eight. Yes, Shaina, what is your, Shaina, what's your question? Whoops. Um, all right, we just had a little technical issue. We'll get everyone back. So we just had about all of you on the callers that were on hold just call back. For a technical reason, we lost the callers. And we will just hold a minute so you guys can call right back. So just call right back and we'll take your questions. We're not going to read another question because it, uh, it'll take some time till we answer and you've waited long enough. Or maybe we gotta wait for the computer to turn back on. You know what, let's take a, let, we'll take a text or two and the minute you're on, we'll just stop the text right in the middle when it happens. My teenage son, the oldest, is severely overweight for the past nine years, most of his life. The rest of the family is thin. We came to realization with professional help that he has a food obsession, which stems from emotional pain. We have gotten him help from a top respected therapist. A few months in, I'm not sure that they made a connection and are making progress. Hearing you discuss the three therapy methods, I'm wondering if the way he is, is basically as a sounding board, is enough. Tiskelimitsus, you're right on. Which means there are different therapeutic modalities that is needed to deal with, call it almost an obsession, addiction. And with a lot of obsessions, just talking about your feelings and your past is not enough. Absolutely not. The way you got to deal with addictions many times is with very solid, strong, grounded tools. You're going to eat this amount. It's going to be difficult. You have groups for Overeaters Anonymous, which is fantastic, using a 12-step system that deals with food on an obsession level where you're discussing it. You hear others having it. There's group, there's individual therapy. These points are important. So if you're going several months to a therapist and a top therapist and you're not happy, it's okay. Don't hesitate to change. Feel comfortable, feel free to change therapists. It's like you're going for a second opinion. You can go for a second opinion, change. You can go, you cannot go for a second opinion and change. So the concept is Get advice, 
Don't get stuck in one way. Don't get stuck because the guy has a top name or the lady has a top name. They could be top. It might not be the right for you. Discuss it with the therapist themselves. Let's see what's going on. I don't believe in just dropping a therapist or even going for a second opinion. I am a big believer in going for a second opinion, but discuss your concerns with the therapist. Thank you for that question. We're going to Shana. Shana, you're back on. Shana on line three, you're on with Mordechai. Sorry that we lost you. Hi. Yes. I, I'm stressed these days, and I don't know what to do. Like I, I see a therapist, but... Shane, I'm going to ask uh, you if you can just lower the, just lower, shut the radio in the background because we're hearing the, the feedback Sorry. is called. Yes, so you said you're stressed these days? Yeah, because I'm like, um, I'm, by, I'm pimples and I'm, I'm a little fat. Okay, thank you. Um, Shayna. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate And no clothes fits me, so like, I unyumped it, it's the hardest part. Yes, it is so true. So let's understand what you're saying. What you're saying is that you go through some difficult times, you have a lot of stress, the way you look sometimes, the way you're feeling, your weight, and it comes yantiv, there's a lot more stress. That makes sense. And that is sometimes what happens at Yamantayvim time. And that means when we have our own stress, our own anxieties, our own fears, concerns, and we don't deal with it, when we have more stress, it heightens. It's like putting gasoline on a fire that we have. So when it comes a stressful time, it's gasoline, which is not actual fire. But when you put gasoline in another substance or that's something that's highly flammable, it will have things explode. And therefore, the recommendation would be to, if you can get help, how to deal with those inner issues, the inner body issues or inner view issues of yourself within yourself, the inner view of yourself, I think that will make a very big difference. Thank you, Shayna, for your calling, for your question. We're going to go to line two to Sarah. Sarah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, um, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. I, w- I wanted to know, how would one go about getting a therapist? There's someone um, very close to me um, with a lot of emotional baggage, years of... Um, manipulating relatives and a lot of guilt. And um, she seems to be also starting to mirror their behaviors. And I would really like to get her a proper therapist. She's been to therapy before after a trauma, but I'm afraid it was too early for her to to actually get anywhere. Uh, There was one therapist that she used to leave very... um, angry and very, um, she, she was like in a combative mode, and she's only willing, she, she's just thinking of going back there, and I'm afraid that it's not the best place for her. How would I be able to help her to find someone appropriate for her? This is a very, very difficult question, and let me share with you why. And, you know, first let's answer the first part of your question. How do you find a therapist? I'm a huge believer in the two top organizations that make referrals. Number one is Relief. Relief, just look it up, Google the number, Relief Resources. There are some wonderful people run by Rabbi Babad, started originally by Rabbi Babad and Rabbi Sandy Ornstein. Fantastic tzaddikim out there. And now they have a fantastic staff under them. So they have a guy, Rabbi Kessner, Mrs. Levinson, Rabbi David Kessner, I know very well. There and Rabbi Babad, I know very well. They have two, three staff members. I'm just remembering, they're forgetting their name, but unbelievable people that are there to answer questions all day. They meet therapists, they interview them, they hear what they're good at, they get feedback, they follow up with the clients, you know, with the referral, 
And that's the way to go about it. So that's general. That's one relief. And echo. I'm a huge believer. Echo they have, you know, for physical referrals for medical doctors, but they also have for mental health a little department there. So go ahead, contact the people that refer to doctors and to therapists. So that is my first recommendation. And now to get to your case, which you said that when she left that other therapist, it was com it was sort of confrontational and tough. I need you to realize something, and here's where it gets very tricky. When people have a certain diagnosis where it's not their fault, it's they're busy blaming, part of the therapeutic process is to have them shift it onto them, to sort of go, we're not talking about others, now we're talking about you. So if someone did not... Uh, let's say a family member claims you did something, it's not going to go, what do I do when they pick on me? It's going to be, when they pick on me and I get triggered, what can I do to balance myself? So when you say there was a trauma and it was too early to get them for therapy, unfortunately, most of the time with these type personalities, it's never too early. They're never ready to go for therapy. They're not ready to hear it's them. And there's a therapeutic modality which came out to deal with these tough, this type, which is mm -hmm. called a more... I don't know. I wouldn't. I would hesitate. Would to be this the type, the, the type of people who are always blaming situations? Yes. That, like never Ayn them. Hara or 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 someone That's else. That's right. It's never them. Ein hadaver tulua elu b. The concept that we have in Gemara and in Svarim is it's always about me. These it's about me that I need to change. Mm -hmm. These people are never willing to hear one thing about them. Of course I was wrong, but they shouldn't. They would discuss themselves for a minute or go, so I have a problem, but they should understand me. The focus is never about them changing. The focus is always about others. And the therapist eventually is going to need to take off those white gloves. And the minute that happens, these people like storming out. And there are, I don't want to call this person borderline because I don't like diagnosing, but there are some books out there how to understand that you might find yourself in that situation that everything is nice and dandy as long as you give in. But the minute you set a boundary, the minute you try to shift to them, they explode. And that is a therapy which is starting to deal with it. But again, when you go to that therapy, you need to understand they tell you it's a minimum of two years of therapy, means individual therapy and group therapy. And that's mm -hmm. a type of therapy called DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Again, it's hard to get them there. It's hard to get them to stay there. But, and I want you to understand that it's not a little issue and it might not be the therapist. It's the person not ready to listen. And you cannot help someone that doesn't come in that wants to listen. I've said this joke several times that they have. How many, how many therapists does it take to change the light bulb? And the answer is... One, the light bulb has to want to change. It doesn't matter which therapist this person's going to go to. If the person's not ready to say the issue is me, then the person's stuck. Okay? We seem to have lost you. All right. We are going to go to Aaron. Who do we take next? All right, we're going to take Rachel next. The number to call in for your question or comment is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Rachel, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes. Hi. So I just wanted to make a comment about referrals to therapists. About what? Referrals to therapists. I think the person before was asking about that. Yes. Okay. So... <clears throat> Very often when people have, like, long-term conditions, um, they don't necessarily have the best insurance. And I know, I know from experience that Relief very often tries to um, refer people to the 
specialists to the top people. Unfortunately, a lot of them don't take some of the insurances. I would say so, most of them don't, unfortunately. Right. And for somebody who has a condition that is really debilitating, they might not be able to pay. So, I mean, I have seen, first of all, there's no reason that a person can't go to a clinic. There are some very good therapists at those places. Um, obviously, everybody has to do what they feel hushkafically is best for them and things like that. But um, very often, it's not even best to go to the person that is expensive or is top or whatever the thing is because it's more important that the match between the client and the um, and the therapist is is good rather than just they're like a renowned professional or something like that. Let's take a step back and let's actually first I'd like to validate what you've said and then still clarify because I sure. think we still need to uh, mm -hmm. defend a little the other types. So let's first start this way. Yeah. When I refer to relief, I refer to relief because this case, certain cases need expertise. So if mm -hmm. someone has basic issues, I'm also a very big believer, and I'd like to even announce which places there are. There are some wonderful organizations that we have in the from world, which are clinics, which they are basically free, not free to the not free to the world, which means the agency, the government pays for that, but free to you, the clients. It means they'll take insurance, they'll take Medicaid, Medicare, they'll do all that stuff. And I'd like to mention some of those. You have Jewish Board, JBFC, Jewish Board of Family Services, and they are one of the organizations. You have OL is OHEL is another one of them. In Lakewood, I know you've got Chemed and you have LCSC, which are two big organizations. I know Chemed's got over 30 something therapists which take insurance. And you can go to those. So there are many organizations that does take that does take insurance, and you can start off over there. And I agree with you on that part. Now let's go to the part where I disagree a little. Unfortunately, when there are specialists and they're not taking insurance, they're specialists because they have earned the title. It means they've made lots of mistakes. They've learned from that. They've got now 15, 20 years of experience. And now they are the ones that are specialty in the field, and there are a lot of results by them, and that's sort of how they get the title specialist or how they get the position of being a specialist. And in that case, unfortunately, I've seen many times where someone has gone to a non-specialist or someone that is relatively new in the field for about two, three years, and then they've gone to several months to a specialist, and they've got helped. And unfortunately, during those two, three years, someone that wasn't that good, it was affected, and it got worse. So... I need to clarify to the listeners, when someone is a specialist, specialist is important. Now, at the same time, depending on the level it is, do you need to jump to a cardiologist if someone's got a strep throat? Absolutely not. But you need to realize that's important. Now, another point that you've mentioned is very true. Just because you get referred to a specialist and it doesn't work out with you, don't stay there. Therapy especially is about a shidduch, is about the understanding, the connection between therapist and client. And if you don't have that, don't feel like you've done something wrong, that it didn't work, that you're not getting better. Understand that it just might not have been a shidduch. And you get another one, try someone else, and it might even be a therapist that's a student. And just because they're a student, but they have the skills, or they might have gone for therapy themselves, and this person is being guided or trained the right way, you might be a lot more successful with that person than with someone that has five or ten years quote-unquote experience. Rachel, what do you say Correct. to that idea? Yeah, no, so I just, um, I'm going to speak from both sides. I'm, right now I'm a healthcare professional, um, not just in mental health. And You're a I what also, professional? What, I'm a nurse. I'm a, a nurse, nurse, and I work a lot with psychiatric patients. So, but I was also at one point, I was 
one of these, I also had PTSD and I also went therapist hopping. And a big reason why I went therapist hopping was because the, I very often used referrals and the expenses were actually causing more anxiety um, than there was actually a help. And then the other thing that was, that I noticed was that very often in our community, people want to go to the top specialist, and there's also a lot of people who want to go specifically to a from person. However, a lot of people in our community who suffer from PTSD are suffering from things that might not be so comfortable to discuss with someone in your community. So, I mean, I personally feel like it's important to possibly address the issue of going to a therapist who's not part of your community, who's not even connected to anything from, because then they hear it from how it's affecting you as opposed to how they have seen it affect whether somebody in their community or other from clients that they've seen. It's, I mean, I've seen this with other people, that a person has to go to a therapist who sees them as who they are, not as who, as who they're expected to be. And this is not just in... Um, in the firm world, this is, I mean, if somebody who was, I don't know, let's say a Chinese person, healthcare professionals think these are the ways to address them, but then maybe you have a Chinese person who's very different. It's important that the therapist sees them as who they are and who they say they are, not as the Chinese or the firm person or whoever you are, like you're on paper. Very good point. I agree with that 100%. And if the person is a good therapist, they should be able to do it. But, however, sometimes the client is someone that doesn't feel that comfortable. And then mm -hmm. the recommendation is actually to go to someone that's not from, just to make sure that they don't put in hashkafa and it's very professional-like. And that's exactly. part of the issue. So I agree with you 100%. And many times a client is the one that feels I can't open up to a from person because certain feelings, thoughts, or fears that I have are shunned about or I shouldn't be having that. And right. if the first step that you can feel comfortable or if your therapy process is over there, go ahead. You'll, but I am still a believer working within our framework, which means speak to a Rav. Of course speak to a Rav, but I think that you also have to be careful which Rav you're speaking to. Ah, once there again, we've gotten to that. So I appreciate all the awareness that you are creating. Yeah. It's a fantastic call for someone with, ex with experience. And everything that you've mentioned is, I remember when I was in school, these were all controversial questions that were going up. Should you go to someone within your society or without your society? The pros of in your society is they understand you. You don't have to explain certain thoughts. The pros of in your society is when you have a certain disorder and the society, someone within the society can tell you, you got a disorder, but if it's a therapist that doesn't know your culture, might just think it's okay. But these are all pros and cons. The same thing with medication, without medication. There's, you know, we've had a class on is it good to diagnose or not diagnose. Certain therapists get comfortable with their diagnosis that they will diagnose everyone as bipolar, everyone as depression. Someone will diagnose it as OCD because that's their comfort zone. So everything that you've mentioned, I feel it's important for the awareness of the person listening to. Like, do you go to a top therapist? Do you take someone that's starting? Do you go to an agency? Do you go to someone in private practice? One of the benefits of an agency is you've got several therapists that if you need to shift to an expertise in one area, there's someone that might be great for that. Finances, right. as you mentioned, can cause more stress than just worried about that. So all this are good points that you mentioned, Rachel. Thank mm -hmm. you. For the question, thank you for the comment, for the information, and for the awareness. Okay. Have a good day.
Excellent. Yassi, we're going to line three. Yassi, you're on the air with Mordechai. Um, hi. Um, so a girl called earlier, and um, she said that her she had a friend that was doing something halakhically wrong. Yes, and, it was a woman from England. Right, and then and you told her that she should that she told she should somehow get the girl to go to a psychologist, right? Sort of. There was a lot more involved. Right, but you basically told her not to get involved. Yes. So, um, I, I don't know what what the details. They didn't. You didn't get into details there, and it's not. That's not the issue really. But I, I have a friend, a similar case. He's doing something that's halakhically wrong, but in the non-Jewish world, it's it's not. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. So, is is you are you should you send to. Should such a person go to a psychologist? Because really, there's nothing wrong just because it's not All right, so let's, wrong. let's then, let's, before we answer that question, let's clarify her question for those that are just tuning in and listening. The question was as follows. There is a lady that she has a very good friend where this person has thoughts all day. It is affecting her life. It is detrimental. That is, quote, unquote, the word that she used about these thoughts. These thoughts are detrimental. And she's not able to stop them. She has them for years. This friend, the one that has called, has tried many different things and nothing seems to work. The friend knows that it's wrong or knows that she has to stop, but she can't stop. And there my recommendation was it can be OCD, can be anxiety, can be addiction, can be other stuff. And you need a professional to deal with it. I did not say because there's something that she's thinking a thought that's halakhically not permissible should she help her. I wasn't even going down that line. I was going down that there's a person that is having thoughts that cannot be stopped, that is detrimental to their life, and therefore I said, you will not do, like I asked her, would you give me advice about my heart? And she said, no, because it's serious. Well, the same thing is about mental health. You have a different issue. Your question is, you have a friend that's doing something that's halakhically not permissible. That's now a halakha question. I'm not going to get into that. Should you help them? Should you not help them? That's a rub. So would, a, would a psychologist do in such a case? or Well, there's a place for everything. As I tell people, there's a place. First, you ask a rub this question. They have Rabbanim. They have Rabbi David Goldwasser over here on the radio. Call him up. Ask him that. Contact your rub, which you know what Avera this guy is doing, and you discuss it with your rub. I don't believe in asking a rub. If you're a Chassid, you've got to ask a Chassidish rub. If you're a Lutzbach, you ask a Lutzbach rub. If you're a Sephardi, you ask a Sephardish rub. You got to ask your rub from your community about your questions that you have. You first start on a halachic level. You first start with that. Once that is taken care of, once you've established it's a disorder and not a muna and betachen, not a hashkafa question, because disorders and hashkafa are very different points. There are people that have huge emuna and betachen. There are rabbanim that have huge emuna and betachen, and they can have OCD, and they can suffer from depression. The two sound like they go together, but they are not. Mm-hmm. Okay, and once so we've established it's not a halacha issue, it's a psychological issue, now you go to a psychological specialist. Mm-hmm. Make sense, my friend? Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. The number to call in for your question or comment is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. For those of you listening, tuning in now, um, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weinberger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weinberger, licensed clinical social worker. And looking forward to taking your question or comment about anything in the mental health. 
Okay, we just got a question nine seconds ago. I wanted to know if you can give some advice to people now that it's time where the ladies are working very hard for Pesach and can get nervous, it's very tense. Can you give any advice to the husbands or wives to deal with it as a team or by themselves? I'm a huge believer in dealing with any time like this as a team. So many times husbands are busy helping the wives with either giving them money or taking out the garbage or doing something, and that's not what the wives want. So many times the wives are busy, I'm not going to complain to my husband, I'm not going to ask my husband for any help. But instead you're yelling and screaming at the children when your husband wants to put out time, your husband wants to participate and help out. So therefore, what I find is when we make assumptions, what the other one wants is what makes it even worse. If you can sit down, plan, we're still a week and a half, two weeks, we're actually two weeks now from Lel Seder, what we can do is discuss what do we need to accomplish? Will they be accomplished? How can we do it calmly? Same for the husbands. What can we do for you to remain calm? And if it's planned out, we do lists. We tackle them one step at a time. You find a huge shift. But my real point to point out is it's communication. It's not assuming help more, be more, give more money. Those will all help. But let's stop assuming what the other one needs. Ask them. Not when things are nervous, what can I help? No. When you're calm. When the kids are sleeping, you sit down and make up with your wife or ask your husband, let's sit down, let's get a game plan, what we need done. We need to make big grocery orders, we need extra money, I need help cooking and cleaning, I need to make sure the kids are out of the house for X amount of hours. Shabbos, what are we going to do? All these points, if you ask help, you work it out as a team. With Siata Deshmaya, you will see the results. Don't make assumptions, just be direct. The number to call in with your question or comment is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, taking your question in the mental health field. We have Devora on line one. Devora, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Um, my mother wants me to go to a therapist, but I don't feel like I need it, and I don't think I should go. Okay, let's take a step. Do you, have, do you feel comfortable? I'm going to ask certain questions. And if you don't feel comfortable speaking because it's public, that's okay. All right? Okay. So tell me, I don't want to answer. It's too personal or you gave out information. So let's first take it this way. Why do you think a parent would ask a kid to go for therapy? Not you, in general. Um, because they want to help them. Yeah. Do you think a parent would ask you, let's say, to wear weird clothing? Publicly? Um, uh, would your parents ask you to wear? Under- okay, let's ask it. Would your parents ask you to wear a shoe size three sizes bigger than your foot? No. Why not? Because it's not good for me. All right. Would your parents ask you to just scream in the street, "Hello"? No. All right. Would a parent ask a kid to go for therapy if they don't feel they need it? No. All right. So let's take a moment, a second, and for whatever reason your parents feel that therapy might help you. Do your parents love you? Um, yeah. Do your parents care about you? Yeah. If they would send you for therapy, chances are, are they going to have to pay for it? Um, I don't think so. All right, let's make an assumption they might, because even therapy you might have to pay a copay. Let's assume they'll have to, it will take time out of them. Will it take energy and effort from them? I'm not sure. All right, let's make the assumption, since I'm a therapist, that it does take. Parents are involved. Parents want to know what's going on. Parents might have to change. It takes energy. They want to know, is are things getting better? They're involved. All right. All right. Now, let's go to this next part. 
If you don't have a mirror in front of you and you drank a chocolate milk and all of a sudden there's like those huge whiskers, would you notice that you have chocolate on your face? Yeah. How? I would feel it. And so you're saying that anyone's face that's dirty will know it on their own? Not always, but I personally, like, always, I feel when I'm dirty. And I, like, something bothers me, even, whatever, maybe I was, yeah, I know, but I would feel like I'm dirty. So you're a person that you know everything about yourself? Um, not everything. Most things? Yeah. Um, Okay. Let, let's take it in a step more personal and then choose to answer it or not. What is the reason that your parents feel that you need therapy for? Which component? Um, because there's a, like a small family situation. Yes. And a few people in my family go for, to therapy for different things. But so my mother feels like I might get affected or I did get affected and... That's why she wants me to go. All right. Let me ask you another question just to put idea of therapy to put into context. If someone has a broken leg and after the cast, they're on a cast for six weeks, two months, and it's quite normal to go to occupational therapy or physical therapy, whichever one it is. <clears throat> the reason is, why do you ask someone to go to, to therapy? To help them get better. Right. But the bone healed. Why are they doing it? Um, to get it like, back into shape. That's right. Many times we have a drop of a limp, or many times our walk is a drop-off. And you're aware of it, and no one notices it but you. Or you might not notice it, because you feel it's excellent, you can notice it. So when you go to an occupational therapist, they're aware of it, and they help give you the tools to work it out. Now, what happens is in therapy, when we're under stress, the human brain has a special filter that keeps us from feeling all our pain. So imagine every second we're going to feel another pain, it's going to affect us. We won't be able to survive. We won't be able to go on. So the brain gives us a filter. That filter many times could be on a setting. And when you're going through a certain situation, you're not aware how you got affected by that. Now, I'll give you a real live situation, which is not from one of my clients, but I've seen it countless times. A kid was raised in the home where the parents fought all the time. He swore he is never going to have a fight with his wife. And therefore, this guy gives in now to everything his wife says. The wife is yelling. The wife is nervous. And he feels he was not at all affected by his parents' shalom bias. What do you mean? I'm a wonderful husband. I'm remaining quiet. Was he affected by his parents' shalom bias? Yeah. Is he aware of it? No. That's right. So how do we know when someone is affected by something? One of the ways are... If we hear information from outside people, which means the Rebbeinu Shalom has created us to have a filter. And if it's just one person telling you, maybe they're wrong. But if you have two, three people telling it to you, then it's you. Or it might be needed. Let's take the similar example about another case when parents were fighting and they were, and the kid was affected where the kid refused to go for therapy. Years later, I've seen it or heard the story where this guy fights with his wife and saying, no, my mother never gave in to my father, and I expect you to give in to me. I expect you to listen to me. Then he would go further saying, I let you do what you want, but when I decide you must listen to me, you must listen to me. That's what it means to be a man. 
And he does not feel he was affected at all by his parents' marriage. He feels that his father was never strong enough to deal with it. And now he's taking ownership and he's being strong. He feels it's right. And he's bringing me all the Makairis why a husband needs to be in charge. Was he affected by the marriage, by his parents' situation? Yeah. Okay. So what I would like you to realize is maybe you weren't affected. Maybe not. Maybe you were. Why are you concerned to go, let's say, to an occupational therapist, you'll do the walking, and the person will discuss it with you and see if you got affected or if you didn't get affected? Go for an evaluation. Um, so I, like I used to go for, I went for a little bit, but I would basically just like talk to her and tell her about my day. It wasn't like anything deep and I, because I didn't want to. That's right. Why didn't you want to? Um, because I didn't feel like she was helping me and it just like, I felt like she was sort of like chesed casing me and she was chesed casing you? Yeah, and it was like, I just, like, told her about my day, and then, like, she tried to do things, but, like, I didn't tell her anything, like, I actually deep that, because I didn't, like, I didn't want to. And it, like, so I let wasn't... me share with you a cute joke that I heard. I heard that this dentist was having a deal. We pull out any tooth for $50. So this guy goes to the dentist. He goes, which tooth is hurting you? I'm not telling you. You're the dentist. He pulls out a tooth. Is that one it? Nope. Wrong one. Can't charge me. No problem. Basically, he pulls out all the teeth of his mouth and finally takes out the last one. He goes, is that one it? He says, yep. Here's your $50. He says, ha ha, you pulled out 30 teeth and all I paid you is $50. <laughs> the concept I'd like you to realize is a therapist is there for you. We're getting paid and we're here to help you. Or we're here to see if you need help. Or we're here to be that quiet, that ear, that private ear where you can speak your fears, your concerns. If you're not trusting the person for confidentiality, for privacy, no problem. You can change. But it's a fantastic, great feeling to know you have someone that you can let go of those inner concerns that you might have. They might be nothing. You might just have to hear it's okay. What would it take of that therapist to be or to change or someone else for you to be able to open up with the stuff that are bothering you? Not to be like going to that dentist saying, nope, nothing's bothering me, pulling out the wrong tooth. Um, I don't think anything because I don't feel like I need to. Oh, so you have something in there, you won't share personal, and you feel you don't need to. It's not, that's the thing, it's not like so crazy personal that I feel like I have to share it with someone. Notice the word have to, notice the battle. If you would have someone that you can speak to, do you know how many people would love to have someone just to talk to? What's your hesitation? I wonder, what's your fear? Are you concerned to be labeled? Are you afraid to open up? Are you afraid the therapist will judge you? Are you afraid they won't understand you? Are you afraid they'll think that you're in a worse case than you really are? What's holding you back? Um, maybe they'll think that I'm worse than I am. That's right. And if you can maybe discuss that with a therapist, say, I don't want to open up because I don't like when you turn me into a chesed case. Absolutely not. I'm a big believer in my type therapy is not the empowerment theory. Whatever chesed case you're in, so what? The Rabbi believes in you, so so do I. Now, how are we going to get rid of it? How are you going to move on? And maybe discuss that with the therapist. What's holding me back from opening up is I want you to believe me. I want you to sound more confident. If the therapist would say, okay, I'm not going to treat you like a chesed case. I believe you're stronger. Will you then be able to open up to her? Maybe. Right. So discuss that and you'll see how she responds. If you don't feel comfortable with her, no, listen to me from experience, 
change. Try someone else. You could even go to two or three different people till you find the right shidduch. As we had that lady Rachel that called up. But don't keep it in. Don't feel like you have to have a problem to go for therapy. Not at all. You can just have one little issue, one little toothache, deal with it, get the cavity, get the filling, pull it out, and just move on. The more you fight it, sometimes like you're busy with other teeth then. So just deal with it and move on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you think you can try that? Yeah. Fantastic. That's wonderful. And appreciate your parents and recognize that they love you and they care about you. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for the courage and the guts to pick up, to call up. And the reason why we took time with this caller is because I feel helping the young people, one little move can make a huge difference. So we've got a couple of seconds left to this program. I'd like to thank everyone for calling in. The confidence level, the strength that it took to call in is a big deal, is very powerful, and we've had some fantastic callers sharing personal issues, and that is huge. The Rabbi Shalom should help that Reb Chaim should have a refuah shalema, and that we should all, Meretz Hashem to still have the geula shalema before, before we start, before, before Pesach comes.